Hi there. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We'd like to take a moment to announce that we are launching a Patreon. You can find it at patreon.com slash TalkingTolkien. We'll also post it on our Facebook and Twitter. We'd appreciate it if you'd take a moment to check out the Patreon and hopefully give some money. Obviously, you don't need to give. We'd appreciate you sharing our podcast just as much. With just a little bit of extra funding, we'll be able to buy server space, equipment, and other necessities to help our podcast grow. Eventually, our plan is to offer other podcasts about other beloved works and overlooked classics. Thanks. Welcome to Talking Tolkien. This is our sixth episode on Fellowship of the Ring. This week we are discussing chapter eight of book one of Fellowship of the Ring, Fog on the Barrow Downs. I'm John. I'm Katie. I'm Chase. And I like how you were like book one of the Fellowship of the Ring, which is part one of the Lord of the Rings. Which is, <laughs> which is part three of the of, Silmarillion Hop Lord of the Rings oh cycle. No! Which is one part of the Tolkien Legendaria. <laughs> oh no. Which is one part of the Tolkien Corpus. Oh. It is but a minuscule. <laughs> that makes me feel sick. Oh. All right. So. But you make you feel glad. There's. There's, a, there's a, an abundance of knowledge. Oh, there at is. Your yeah. There. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Alright, so I'd like to um, start off with an email we got from Mike. So thank you, Mike. Email song. What? Nothing. I just said we need an email song. Here's the mail, it never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to wail. Yeah, that's where my brain went as well. Is that Blue's Clues? Yes. Okay. No, that was. Oranges, oranges. Yeah. That's a better. That's a better show. <laughs> All right. So anyway, we got an, uh, an email from Mike who said, and I agree with you, Mike, that the strength and uniqueness of our podcast is the discovery of themes and the writing that resonate with the personal experiences of each of you. Thank you, Mike. I recently had somebody tell us that tell me that our podcast was horrible because we literally made one mistake. And I was like, Dude, one? Like, we made one mistake? We're doing good. <laughs> well, he's like, we said, we're going to make mistakes. Apparently, we said that the Vala that came, or the the beings that came down were the Vala. And he's like, you should have said some of the beings that came down were the Vala. Some were Maya. And I was like, if you're going to be that person, I don't want you to listen to what anyway. Did he, was that something I said? Because if, if you're basing anything off I say, I don't know. All I'm saying is that we're, we're conversational style and we're not trying to be the definitive take on none, Tolkien. None of us pretends to be an encyclopedia. So <laughs> I, appreciate, I appreciate Mike's review slash I, personal experiences. Well, so anyway, he also sent a letter that... Oh yeah, which I, I loved reading that letter. Yeah, so he sent a letter that Tolkien had sent to his son on October 25th, 1944. Dearest man, here's a little more of the ring for your delectation, I hope, and criticism, but not for return. Two more chapters to complete the fourth book, and then I hope to finish the fifth and last of the ring. I have written a long air letter today and shall write again, of course, before your birthday. I'm afraid this little packet won't get to you in time for it. And uh, 
And included is a letter from an American fan. Dear Mr. Tolkien, I have just finished reading your book, The Hobbit, for the 11th time, and I want to tell you what I think of it. I think it is the most wonderful book I have ever read. Read. It is beyond description. Gee whiz, I'm surprised that it's not more popular. If you have written any other books, would you please send me their names? John Barrow, 12 years, Westtown School, Westtown, Pennsylvania. <laughs> wow. I thought these extracts from a letter I got yesterday would amuse you. I find these letters, which I still occasionally get, apart from the smell of incense, which fallen man can never quite fail to savor, make me rather sad. What thousands of grains of good human corn must fall on barren stony ground if such a small very small drop of water should be so intoxicating. But I suppose one should be grateful for the grace and fortune that have allowed me to provide even the drop. God bless you, beloved. Do you think the ring will come off and reach the thirsty, your own father? <laughs> and then Mike said, it's nice to find that a little more... Or maybe this is part of the letter. It just... It, at the end it says... It's nice to find that little American boys do really still say gee whiz. <laughs> I say gee whiz. I say a lot. I say wowzers. I like so. gee whiz and I like gee willikers. <laughs> Golly gee but, willikers. Yes, I'm Goliath Gary Willikers. <laughs> <laughs> but I also just love uh, how Tolkien's voice, even within the letters, this is what I'm saying about the, the way that he writes, his voice even within letters to his son is just so poetic. <laughs> dear man. Yeah, I dear man. I just like that <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I enjoyed that letter quite a bit, and that's there are there is a vast amount of I haven't actually ever read the letters I want to, but yeah. Um. This actually reminds me of uh, when I was like twelve. A family friend went to the UK and brought back some British edition of Harry Potter for me. Mm-hmm. And at the end, they had a couple of like excerpts from fan letters. Not that that was super cool. Yeah. So anyway, where we join, where we last left our our band of. Raggedy Hobbits. But first, today in Middle Earth. Oh, right, right, right. Sorry. <laughs> what is today, the 5th? Today is October 8th. Oh, no. Okay. It's October 8th in Middle Earth. And uh, so previously, with our band of dwarves and hobbits, uh, in our previous reading in The Hobbit, the they were kind of getting ready to leave Lake Town. That was what was happening on this yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. And currently... Uh, in our reading of Lord of the Rings, what's happening on this day is that the company is moving south through the wild. And we haven't seen that yet, but we'll get to it. Yeah, it's weird how we are just slightly behind the actual, like, in time mm-hmm. with the actual book. <laughs> we should have planned this better and read Lord of the Rings in real time. In real time. <laughs> I feel like... You would have to go in, like, starts and fits, though, and yeah. spend several yeah. weeks on one chapter. Well, because, you know, a couple <laughs> chapters ago, like, the last chapter you read took place on, like, one night. Mm-hmm. And this chapter takes place in, in like... one night. In, like, one night. And then mm-hmm. before then, it was, like, three days, mm-hmm. so... Yeah. Because, holy crap, the Shire was big, bigger than I imagined... And they're still like in well, the woods outside. It was, it was I mean, also out kind of, of it was also kind of slow going though, and they did waste a little bit. of Well, time. remember Frodo's like, we need to take the shortcut, and yeah, which ended up not being yeah, yeah shortcuts. Shortcut you know, end up becoming long cuts pretty quickly. So we gotta take some deep shortcuts, <laughs> son. Sorry. <laughs> so anyway, we left them last. Uh, they're napping uh, or they're sleeping at Tom Bombadil's after their lovely feast, mm-hmm. and. Uh, rainy day there and so they wake up and the Frodo I mean the Frodo the Frodo <laughs> the, Frodo. the chapter starts with a Frodo uh, some Frodo mini Frodo sorry the chapter Frodo <laughs> you are messed up you are all over the place John can't speak today. the chapter begins with Frodo having yet another dream hey I did it right yay uh, and this one Frodo hears a sweet singing uh, running in his mind 
And he's like, there's a pale light behind a gray rain curtain and growing stronger to turn the veil all to glass and silver until at last it was rolled back. A far green country opened before him under a swift sunrise. The vision melted into waking and there was Tom whistling like a tree full of birds. What a nice way to wake. Mm -hmm. So they basically are like leading. And then Frodo's like, oh my gosh, we didn't say goodbye to Goldberry. And like runs back. Yeah, and wants she to goes. run back to say goodbye to Goldberry. But uh, then there she is, and they actually run into her on the hill. And once again, there's just this. She Goldberry is like a vision <laughs> in her uh, beauty. Uh, uh, why did I go to Halo? I Sorry, don't know. <laughs> because you're just watching Elysium. Oh yeah, and it's so got Halo in it. Goldberry kind of is similarly to Tom Bombadil. She's kind of laughing once again, and. Uh, bids them farewell and give and advises them to be quick and to make sure that they stay on their course and that they head north. Well, and then also Tolkien in that part continued his great descriptions of her in like sort of ethereal weird yeah, terms. Yeah, super ethereal and also again reminding me of aquatic things. You just the, all of this entire section, just uh, any kind of time that we hear about Goldberry, whether it be her voice or her appearance, you think of like. Nice, cool, crisp, and bright, and also kind of just water. Do you just like imagine her like floating in water, but but not in water? I, I don't like, know. She just looks like that. Okay. Like, like like her like her hair is just kind of billowing behind her as if she were underwater or something. That would be kind of cool. <laughs> and she t- she she finally says farewell, mm-hmm. elf friend, reminding once again that Frodo is an elf friend mm-hmm. who knows elf things Frodo's and extraordinary. how to be elf. Yeah. So of course the day right now it's it was you know just after all of this kind of cleansing rain so the day is nice and crisp and bright and off they go uh, they are hoping to get to the road as soon as as soon as possible and the day as it goes on it starts to get a little hotter and by midday they seem to have been making good time and if they, if they continue along this way uh, hopefully they'll reach they'll be through the downs uh, before nightfall. And Mary can actually see the road from where they are, too. Yeah, there was a comment. due north. They were, they were, like, talking about how, like, they can see the edge or something yeah. those lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, of course, as always happens, they find this nice little area and fall themsel- find themselves unexpectedly falling asleep. Right. And I like the description of this area. It's kind of like a hilltop that was, uh, there's, like, a little depression on the top of a hilltop, and mm-hmm. they, were, they described it like a green saucer. Yeah. And there was, like, a stone in the middle that was cool yeah. to the touch. And that was nice. this is one of those instances where you kind of see Tolkien also as, uh, like, he, <laughs> landscapes are very important and intriguing. And there's a lot of intrigue as far as, like, archaeologically within the world of of the Lord of the Rings and this is kind of one of those get off Tumblr (laughs) (laughs) like Middle Earth like is that what you were going for I'm still listening to what you're saying (laughs) (laughs) I'm talking about archaeology in the context of Middle Earth and how in this chapter we get a description which is a lot like kind of south central England and Mm -hmm. it's uh, prehistoric Celtic circles. Oh, that's where you're going there. I, yeah. I thought you were about to reference something from the Silmarillion that I missed. No, no, no. Like Just they ended up after some great battle with that mound of p- people, bodies, elves. <laughs> Remember that? Remember they had that big mound? 
You, you probably definitely remember that. I don't remember it very well. I just remember there was a battle and there was like they stacked up all the bodies and made this great hill. And the ruin of Beleriand. That was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. So they come to this hollow circle and there is a single standing stone. And uh, of course, you know, I'm thinking like megalith, like you said. Yeah. Well, so I loved this this uh, section. He's just like looking, Frodo is looking around and it says, even as he spoke, he turned his glance eastward and he saw that on the si- on that side, the hills were higher and looked down upon them. And all those hills were crowned with green mounds and on some were standing stones pointing upwards like jagged teeth out of green gums. These hills that. are alive with the sound of music. Uh, I was going to say the hills are alive with the sound of scary hey. things, but... Did I just transition us into a song? Yeah. Wait. I'm rubbing off on you. You did. Yeah. So now they're at this hollow kind of circle with a single standing stone in it. And uh, I also like the description of that because it, it was rather significant. Wait, is it specifically indeed. described as a hollow circle? Is that your terminology? I believe he used the words hollow circle. We're all pulling up our dishes yeah. to check this one out. Because it, it just reminds me of a term in ancient Near East archaeology, hollow way. About mm-hmm. midday, they came to a hill whose top was wide and flattened like a shallow saucer with a green mounded rim. So yeah, I can... Inside there was no air stirring and the sky seemed near their heads. Into the, yeah. hollow, into the yeah. hollow circle. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, they yeah, turned yeah, from yeah. the side and went... And went down into the hollow. Okay, so it reminds me of this term in ancient Near East archaeology called hollow way, which is basically the (coughs) depressions that still exist after, you know, six to 10,000 years in the landscape where people would just walk back and forth between different settlements. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just a slight depression in the land because the soil is still uh, packed from that. Mm -hmm. Um, And as we find out, these uh, are barrows, and the barrows kind of are this remnant of this like ghost civilization. and so it kind of just reminds me of like the way that the remnants of this, you know, a- of, of the antique societies are, are still that's, visible. Yeah, that's totally what he's getting at. It's like so, how my at my parents' house, their neighbors had this corgi, and the corgi would walk in the same path from one house to the other. So there was a corgi trail. There was a corgi path that was dro- from her feet and her belly because she was a little fat thing. <laughs> they would be drugged that way, and that dog is not alive anymore. A dog is. She got really old and died, mm-hmm. and so that path is still there, like three or four years later. She's left her mark. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what I thought of. So this this single standing stone that they have come to now, I I really like how that was described. It was shapeless and yet significant, like a landmark or a guarding finger, or more like a warning. Like it. <laughs> so, but 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 anyway, I mean, they're hobbits and they're hungry, and they decide this is a good place to sit. This is a good place to sit. It's not totally haunted or weird or anything. <laughs> no, not at all. At all. No, not totally. At all. It's not the remnants of the dead or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> so they sit down and have their lunch, and then you know, eventually, as you do, when it's kind of a nice, bright, sunny day, you may lay down and look up at the sky, and then you, whether you intended to or not, you find that you've fallen asleep. <laughs> and then you get drugged off to hell by some weird black thing. No, they, <laughs> they walk into it. <laughs> they wake up, and they find that they had fallen asleep. Yeah. Uh, no, they wake up, and they find that the fog has reappeared, Yeah. and it is where previously they could see everything, now they're kind of in an island, and the fog starts creeping up to their little 
hollow circle. And actually closes over them, too, so they're completely, like, encased in fog and mist, and it is it's several hours have passed, and the daylight is fading. Actually, a question on this one. Because Tolkien has kind of gone in and out of this in this book already, and we've already had references, like, the last chapter we had references of dreams and descriptions of them and things like that. Is this a real thing that's happening, or is this an illusion that's happening? I think it's real. This is real. Yeah. You think this is real? This right now that's happening, this, this is real. This is what happened right now. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. I just want to get y'all's opinion on that, because I went to Vision when I was <laughs> when I was reading it. So It definitely feels like it, and it's mm-hmm. spooky and mysterious like one, but yeah, this is this is happening. They're act- this is actually happening! Yeah. Um, so yeah, the the fog is closing in over them, and they're they're basically kind of blinded by it, and they don't really know where they're going, uh, and they're just hoping if they continue on in a generally northerly direction that they'll you know get out of the of the downs and uh, out of the fo- out of the fog. Um, so Frodo sees some kind of dark patches ahead, and is thinking, "Oh, that's the gap. We're almost there." And they're kind of going single file with Frodo leading and uh, all the rest of the ponies kind of mm-hmm. following behind in a single file oh, yeah, I forget, line. I always forget about the ponies. Yeah. So they're on their little ponies. Um, but these dark patches that he saw ahead of him were not what they seemed. And actually they, they kind of get darker and then finally when he gets up closer he sees that they're kind of leaning towards each other and they're actually these huge standing stones almost like and Frodo kind of doesn't remember seeing this before so he's not quite sure where he is at this moment and the pony suddenly gets very afraid and rears up and, Fr- and Frodo falls see this is where I thought it was a vision it was where this sort of like hit me I was like is this I don't know if this is real oh. <laughs> uh so now and Frodo realizes at this time, too, because he starts to call out, he realizes he's alone. And so he runs around calling out, calling for help, and he, he thinks he hears an answer. Eventually, like, the other hobbits are, like, shouting out as well. Yeah, and he's trying, he, to, he's trying to follow the, this, this voice, yeah. and he's, const- he's going uphill. All he knows is that he's going uphill because he can't see anything. And... The night is getting colder and windier now. And basically, he gets up to the top of this hill and runs into a huge, dark, black shape. Where are you? He cried again, both angry and afraid. Here, said a voice deep and cold that seemed to come out of the ground. I am waiting for you. Yeah. I love that the voice seems to come out of the ground. Just happy Halloween, guys! Right? right? I, we're, we're, yeah, we're October now. It's it's it is now Halloween, <laughs> the, the the month of Halloween, the entire month of it. So of course now Frodo is trying to run away, but then he feels this grip, this stone cold or actually iron cold grip that pulls pulls at him, and then he basically doesn't remember anything else. He's knocked out, and now. Little Frodo wakes up, and he is imprisoned in a barrow. He had been taken by a barrow white. But then my favorite bit of this, the, like, it, it, 
I like this bit. I wanted to read this bit. <clears throat> but though his fear was so great that it seemed to be part of his ver- of the very darkness that was around him, he found himself as he lay thinking about Bilbo Baggins and his stories, mm-hmm. of their jogging all t- along together in the lanes of the Shire and talking about roads and adventures. There is a seed of courage hidden, often deeply, it is true, in the heart of the fattest and most timid hobbit, waiting for some final and desperate danger to make it grow. Frodo was neither very fat nor very timid. Indeed, though he did not know it, Bilbo and Gandalf had thought him the best hobbit in the Shire. He thought he had come to the end of his adventure and a terrible end, but the thought hardened him. He found himself stiffening as if for a final spring. He no longer felt limp like helpless prey. So somewhere deep inside of this whole situation, he finds his courage right. yeah. and pulls himself out of it. And his friends. I too had a highlight that section. Yeah, I, that's uh, that's actually one of my favorite parts out of this reading that we had today. Uh, it, yeah, so Frodo finds his courage. And that was something that we had kind of been tickled a little bit before with uh, when he was talking to Gildor, right, about... Uh, you know, Frodo's. Where am I possibly going to find courage? And well, uh, there was there was no other option in this situation. For some reason, I'm reminded of like moments when I was a kid, where I when I was a kid, I would always get like very scared late at night, and I would mm-hmm. go and I would sleep. At the, I wouldn't sleep, get in bed with my parents. I would always like drag all the crap off my bed and like sleep. pile it up. At pile the it door. up. Yeah, pile yeah. not at the door, but I would pile it up like next to it like mm-hmm. next to their bed mm-hmm. and sleep but then I'd realize that I'm sleeping right under their bed mm-hmm. where all the horrifying things right all the yeah. monsters are so under eventually bed. I would have this like thought where I would be- imagine myself getting up and leaving and I imagine myself getting up and leaving and I was so scared and so terrified but I imagine myself leaving and imagine myself leaving and finally after like one moment I would finally do it mm-hmm. and finally get up and leave and go back to bed in my own bed which is the most amount of courage I probably had like <laughs> I just for some reason, that thought came to me when I was reading that section of just that imagine yeah. of, like, sitting there and then being like, I'm so afraid, I'm so afraid. No, I'm not being afraid anymore. Yep, yep, that's exactly right. Yeah, I like that. Um, so basically, yeah, they're all, he, he looks over and he sees Sam and Mary and Pippin are there as well. And they're all kind of dressed in sort of, like, like a burial well, they're in, like, strange white, burial attire. Like, kind of, like, white silken clothes. Yeah. Gold chains. With gold chains yeah. around them. And, and then the, they're lying side by side by side, and there's a sword that's just resting on their necks. Yeah. And Frodo himself had waken up with his arms crossed over his chest like this. Yo, BTW, so. this thing is, this book's weird. <laughs> this book's weird in parts. And so Frodo's first thought is, hmm, I wonder if I can use the ring to sneak past the Barrow White and mourn my three friends. And he's like, no, I can't do that. Yeah. And then he sees, like, a hand just, like, creeping up and grabbing the sword that's on their neck. And so he, like, grabs a knife that's just, like, right there and, like, slices the hand off. Yeah. And so uh, I, I, liked, I liked that. So this, this was, like, Frodo had a, a moment where he, he could put on the ring and run away. And <sighs> that even kind of tempted him a little bit. There's, again, that kind of, like, His hand's already in his pocket. Yeah, yeah, it's going. But then, he, but he's, no, I can't leave my friends. So he decides to be a, a hero instead. There's some great little song in there, too, that he just hears. Mm-hmm. And it's another great song from Tolkien because it's just a lot of, like, leaning on, like... Cold be hand and heart and bone and cold be sleep under stone. Never more to wake on stony bed, never till the sun fails and the moon is dead. 
In the black wind the stars shall die, and still on gold let hear them lie, till the Dark Lord lifts his hand over dead sea and withered land. Thank you. Yeah, like, it's a... That's, it's, it's an unnerving song. It's just, yeah, and it's even described as kind of an incantation. It's, well, so it's very spooky. I'm curious because I legitimately don't know. What is then the relationship between the Barrow White and the Dark Lord? And is this Dark Lord supposed to be Melkor or Sauron? This... I, I, I could argue that any sort of dark creature or dark being has probably some uh, weird connection with the Dark Lord in some in some way. I, I don't know if necessarily Melkor because Sauron, like Melkor is gone, basically. Yeah, but the Barrow Whites are... The Barrow Whites are very ancient. Yes. Oh, okay. They're kind of the... They're like evil spirits... Okay, here's what it says. Evil spirits, perverted Maya, or possibly spirits of orcs, fallen Avari, or evil men, were sent to the Barrow Downs by the Witch King of Angmar in order to prevent the restoration of the destroyed Dunedain kingdom of Cardolan. So there we go. This was way back... So this would be, like, early Third Age? Yeah, early Third Age stuff, um, which we get kind of another slight reference to that later. So, yeah, the Barrow Whites are much more ancient. Um, where were we? Okay, and it says apparently in Appendix A that they're specifically trapped in the cairn of the last prince of Cardolan. So that's what we're in right now. Yes. Mm-hmm. They somehow get out, right? Are you done? It's, it's, oh, it's, oh, it's, sorry. Silence. So, so yeah, so Frodo hacks off this hand and the hand breaks and so does the sword that he had grabbed in the process of doing so and then at that moment he remembers Tom Bombadil's house and that song that when you know when Tom had sent them off he had taught them this song that was kind of like a summons of of, of Tom Bombadil so Frodo sings this verse and it goes like this Ho, Tom Bombadil, Tom Bombadillo, by water, wood, and hill, by the reed and willow, by fire, sun, and moon, hearken now to hear us. Come, Tom Bombadil, for our near need is near us. And he comes just. I'm not sure if that's exactly flying. what it sounded like, but. No, it was it was a loose hip hop interpretation. <laughs> does he like? Come, okay, this is why white people shouldn't rap. <laughs> yeah. How does he, how does he, be, he just, he, I, I'm so confused. Sorry. Then, <laughs> I okay. Then he just hears Tom Bombadil like walking up and singing. Yeah. He just hears, like what he happened. He didn't like fart out of a wall or anything. Like, no. It's not like poltergeist yeah. or something. No. <laughs> it's just, it's just like, he just like bursts up a wall. It's like, the, it's like the most casual, <laughs> it's like the most casual sudden entry that one could make. Yeah. He just like no clips the environment. So sudden so that, you know, this, there's the, kind of some stones roll and fall away and then some light streams in and Frodo sees Tom Bombadil there. Like, yeah, there was a up? loud rumbling sound as of stones and falling and suddenly light turned in. Yeah, okay. A low Thank door-like you. opening up. I was, <laughs> I was reading the bit in the text, which it turns out was rather verbatim to what you had said. So if anything, I'm complimenting you on your memory. So, Not the song from Cats, either. The thing in your head. So Tom now sings another song that kind of banishes the Barrow White. And then Frodo and Tom carry the other hobbits out. The other hobbits are still like stone cold asleep, but they don't look so deadly now. Like they looked, or deathly rather. They looked, they had this weird 
kind of almost greenish cast about them when Frodo first saw them. Like the so now they just kind of look like they're sleeping, gaunt, yeah. which is uh, a little, little nicer. So uh, Tom then co- goes back in and comes out with uh, tons of the, tons the, of the, treasure. The, the treasure that had been in this in in the barrow, and wakes the other hobbits. No, that together they carried out Mary Pippin and Sam. I already said that. <laughs> she did. Oh well, I, sorry, I didn't get a chance to. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm a little. You're just not listening to me today. To, no, no, no. Together they carried out Mary Pippin and Sam. Yeah, I, that's what I said. <laughs> no, no, no. Together they carried out Mary Pippin and Sam. We're gonna edit okay. this out because it's it's <laughs> what? annoying. What? <laughs> okay. Uh, so what I actually wanted to say is, as they were carrying out Mary Pippin and Sam, Frodo saw, or as Frodo left the bear for last time, he thought he saw a severed, a severed hand wriggling still like a wounded spider in a heap of fallen earth. Here we get like another kind of association with a spider. Mm-hmm. I just like that. Maybe. What? What? Was like Tolkien like a freaked out by spiders? Yes, yes. he was bit he, by he a tarantula got, when he yeah, was young. He got bit by a tarantula when, when he was young, and oh. that's why we have Ungoliant and Shilob huh. and a nasty spider. Oh, things. we've talked about that before because we talked about like how that spider had a really big impact on. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I remember yep. this now. We have that spider to thank for gigantic just, terrorizing spiders. I just love how he keeps coming back to it in all of fantasy. In all of fantasy, because let's face it. Ungoliant and Shilob precede, I'm pretty certain, all other gigantic, terrifying I've, spiders. I've killed a lot of <laughs> spiders in some fantasy RPGs, so. <laughs> yeah. So Mary now wakes up, and we have this kind of second uh, interesting allusion to the distant past. So Mary wakes up, and he's kind of very disoriented, and he says, The men of Karn Doom came on us at night, and we were worsted. So, Karn Doom was actually the capital of Angmar. And I don't know if you would instantly think of this, but you know the witch king of Angmar, right? Yes. So, he's, the, yeah, he's the lead race. Basically yeah. the, the lead Nazgul, yeah. So Angmar was the home of the witch king and all of his nasty bad servants. And it was in the very north of the Misty Mountains. And this is, again, early Third Age stuff. If you recall um, to the third Hobbit movie, there's that weird, unnecessary thing where Legolas and Tariel just disappear for half the movie. Oh, And then yeah. he's like, this is the gate the gate of Ongmar. Yeah. And then it's yeah, never touched upon again. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's, what, that's that what we're talking about. Okay. So uh, so Mary says that the men of Karn Doom came on us at night and we were worsted. And so then, then he thinks, oh, I must have been dreaming. So sometimes this is interpreted as... Mary kind of sharing memories with the Barrow White, actually, because like that's some Weird. ancient memory. Yeah, I don't know. It's just kind. Of, There's kind of an interesting little bit there. So now, of course, uh, Frodo wants to get a move on. <laughs> He's like, okay, no dilly dallying around this place. We need to move. And Sam's get like, out of here. Sam's like, I can't go adventuring in this garbage. <laughs> but, but instead, Tom kind of skips off, singing once more a freaky Tom song. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, Tom goes skipping off and is like, oh, just, just, just run around here for a while and and just, just, just be glad. You're, just... you're gonna be okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, and of course, you know, Tom is very merry and laughing and he's dancing around and that lifts their spirits some so the hobbits actually do kind of run around on the grass and lay around in the sun and they start to feel a little more rejuvenated well and and so tom 
what he's singing is, Hey now, come hoy now, whither do you wander? Up, down, near, or far, here, there, or yonder. Sharp ears, wise nose, swish tails, and bumpkin. White socks, my little lad, and old fatty lumpkin. Which was so cute! And then Tom comes back, and all of the ponies are following him, including another pony. Well, this one called that, Fatty Lumpkin. And that was, yeah, so that's that was his little summoning song for the ponies. <laughs> and specifically, it says that Mary owned these ponies, and they actually didn't have names. Yeah. But now they all respond to the names that he just suddenly gave them. Well, of course, he's Tom Bombadil, and he is basically... Master. Master. Yes. So, yeah, they, they have... They have names now. I They're just love adorable names. Fatty Lumpkin so much. But yeah, Fatty Lumpkin is a great name for a pony. So Fatty Lumpkin is Tom's horse. Yeah. Or a pony. And pony. then the rest are just the ones that they had misplaced. So as it turns out that when they were staying at this house, the ponies had befriended Fatty Lumpkin, who he let wander wherever. Yeah. And so when the ponies got scared, they smelled Fatty Lumpkin and kind of like went to him. Yeah. And you can always trust ponies when they get scared. Because they will turn tail and run, which is exactly what Frodo's pony did. Unlike <laughs> hobbits, who don't realize that they're in danger until right? it's directly in front of them. Exactly. You, you, can trust, you can trust a pony to know when it's in danger. Um, which, which is very true, I will say. So then Tom basically insists that he ride them to the road. I love, I love that, because Tom, ba- he says the hobbits are so good at losing themselves that he would not feel happy till he had seen them safe over, over the borders of this land. <laughs> it's like, it, I can't even enough. get you hobbits through. You can't even get through this. So I'm going to go with you and make sure that you get through this land, because they, clearly... They, they didn't even make it like half a day. <laughs> Poor hobbits. Away from his house but how are they gonna at all get through okay we'll just see (laughs) but additionally tom kind of goes through this treasure and basically it's kind of banishing the barrow whites from from that barrow this this barrow and kind of laying the treasure out here and he's saying for any kind of good person or beast that comes through here this is for them and you can take what you want and he he himself takes like this blue brooch that he's going to give to goldberry and I really liked what he said right there, too, by the way. Yeah. Here is a pretty toy for Tom and for his lady. Fair was she who long ago wore this on her shoulder. Goldberry shall wear it now, and we will not forget her. Like, I liked this element of that somebody had this in the past and keeping track of that, in a way, of, like, honoring that person. I really, really liked that, but it really stuck out to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a much nicer thing than uh, being an ancient ghosty thing. And well, you know, it probably is that, but <laughs> that doesn't affect Tom Bombadil at all, so whatever. Yeah. But it was, it's this nice contrast between this horrible uh, encounter with the Barrow Whites and now we have a different interpretation of like this link to the past. Yeah, yeah. That's not that's not weird and musty. Well, since you uttered the phrase, this link to the past, I've actually been wanting to talk about Zelda, and I was going to save it until the end of the episode, but I, I, you literally just said the name. I, of I, I gave again, you a segue. So, um, <laughs> I could not help but think that this chapter had to have been primary inspiration for the Shadow Temple in Ocarina of Time. What do you think, Chase? I could see that. Like, the element of not knowing what's going on and like well yeah, I, I just imagine that. like the the representation of the pose as kind of like the barrow whites and then like mm-hmm. the sh- you know like severed hands you know I just oh like, that severed hand yeah. yeah granted the dungeon masters came into the Zelda series before Ocarina of Time regardless <laughs> I mean I'm reading those two and having the same experience with uh, the Dark Souls series so I mean 
Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Fantasy, a lot of fantasy stuff may have been inspired by this. I mean, oh, we're, we're, oh, we're, we're reading, we're basically reading the Ur text of contemporary fantasy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is where it, where it all begins. Uh, so, addition. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was just gonna. So, the hobbits also get daggers at this time. <laughs> Leaf shaped daggers. I like yeah. that. I like that description. Yeah, they're kind of little, perfect size for hobbits, and this is also kind of. A bit momentous because the hobbits now have weapons, well, which they had never. They proceed to cut each other on accident. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> oh. Pippin actually stabs a pony. Oh no, this has gotten bad. What does this do? No. Uh, so again, the hobbits had never previously thought about fighting on this little quote-unquote adventure they're going on. This pony riding me. Yeah, and so now they have weapons with which to defend themselves, and also this uh, is lends itself to the possibility of fighting uh, which hobbits have not fought for well because I mean this is many, kind of, many, many, I mean many. if we were to say that this is kind of similar to in comparison to where Bilbo was yeah I mean, it's, with, 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 I'm talking about with the part with the trolls yeah and how now they have weapons uh, at well, that point too are you similar are you familiar with the concept of exegetical analysis <clears throat> I mean, it's primarily a, a lot of words that it's primarily a, a term about um, kind of Christian interpretation of the Old Testament and the New Testament, seeing them as kind of parallels. Like, yes, you, you know, yes. something within the Old Testament that serves kind of as a key to read a story within the New Testament. Yes. So I can't help but think that there's a lot of validity in doing the same thing between The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. So, you know, this <laughs> is kind of like, you know, this is the this is that kind of Bilbo moment coming yeah. to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've played the Metal Gear Solid series. I know all about that. <laughs> Stuff gets repeated constantly in that way. Um, what was I about to say? Actually, for a brief moment, I had this flash of... Because um, I still don't quite exactly know where they're at in relation... No, I kind of do now. Well, they're east of the Shire. Yeah, I know they're east of the Shire, but I had this moment of thinking... Did they... And, and I know they're not on this path, but I was thinking for a second, did they accidentally stumble onto... Remember that... Remember when, um, after the part of the trolls and Bilbo and the hobbits, I mean, the dwarves found that, like, hold full of, like, weapons and stuff? I thought for about a brief second they found that. For <laughs> it's, a, it's, just a brief second. It's not the same place. Absolutely not. No. No. That's, that's more northeast of where they are. Yeah. But, but the, like, the, the intertextuality here is kind of interesting. Yes. So, anyway, as it turns out, that, that, road that they had seen that Mary thought was the road when they get to it it's actually just a kind of a hedge on top of an old wall and then there's kind of a drop at the end of the wall mm-hmm. and that was kind of the the boundary of this old kingdom so they go down there and then Tom actually does successfully see them the road beyond that and so finally they're back on a road and Frodo makes a comment about how his shortcut only <laughs> took them two days. Yes, but 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 then he says on the on the upper hand, at least maybe we've thrown off the Black Riders, and now we think, oh yeah, Black Riders. Like, oh yeah, the Riders them. are looking for us. No, so no, the Black Riders are distracted by having dinner with the Burrowites. <laughs> well, Tom kind of reassures them. You probably won't see Black Riders today or tomorrow. Pa- further past here, I can't really tell you because that's not, not my my domain. My my domain, yeah. but. But he says, you're probably okay for now. And he, so Tom gives them this advice, go to Bree, go to the end of the Prancing Pony, and stay the night there, and you'll be safe there. Barlamin Butterbur is <laughs> yeah. a worthy keeper, which was, that's a 
And it's an awesome name. And Frodo reminds them that his alias is Mr. Underhill. Yeah. And then Sam is like, what kind of people are in Bree? And Mary's like, don't worry, there are hobbits there. And there are also big yeah. people. Yeah. He's uh, like, the Prancing Pony is a good end. My family goes there frequently or something. Yeah. Well, and I had, and I, I had a brief moment where I was like, where Mary said that. And I was like, why weren't you leading this? Sorry. <laughs> I had a brief moment where I just thought that. Well, Mary would have avoided the Barrow Downs, though. Yes. Yes. Uh, but the, I, I also liked, so they're talking about the Prancing Pony. And then they're kind of wondering, or Sam is wondering, is it anything like the Green Dragon? <laughs> is it anything like that thing I had back at home? Yeah. <laughs> And will we have a good pint of beer there? <laughs> <laughs> and that's basically the end. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so now they're they're riding through the night, and they see Bree kind of right ahead of them in the distance. And they're coming coming to the village of Bree. Not to be confused with the cheese. <laughs> Not to be confused with the cheese. Which is no. also a wonderful thing to see in front of you after a terrible day. It would the be baked yeah. Bree. Yeah. Oh man, I would love. I, it. Actually, I don't want to think about food right now. I don't feel good. So. <laughs> This book is long. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's taking. I just, feel like it's. Ta- did you just yeah, I just, that? I just kind of realized that it's taking. It's just. It's this isn't a complaint. This is actually a positive thing. I'm mm-hmm. saying this. It's taking its time, mm-hmm. and I like that because mm-hmm. the Hobbit felt like it was just go, go, well, I mean, go, go. That's what he says in the forward. Is that he kind of was experimenting with carrying on just like a grand long narrative. Yeah. It's fun. I like this book. Yeah. I, 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 I like its pace. I like how it seems like every... like it, It's like the pace is slower, but something is always happening. It's not like... like it's not like the Silmarillion where I felt like there were... There was... I felt like there were great moments in time where there wasn't anything happening, but it had like a really interesting pace that was slow. Mm-hmm. Whereas The Hobbit where it was like... It had this like wicked fast pace, but there were sometimes where I was like, what? "Okay," felt like not a whole lot was happening. Where this is just like everything is meaty. Every mm-hmm. single chapter is meaty. I can't, I can't but feel like this this book took him a long time to write, didn't it? So. Yep. Yes, quite a bit. Oh, oh, there's something else I wanted to mention. Um, so I, I mean, we briefly talked about the uh, the swords, the, or the little daggers rather that the hobbits get. So Tom Bombadil tells them that these were made by the men of Westerness. Do we remember who they are? That sounds really familiar. It should. So the men of Westerness, they were, Tom Bombadil says, the foes of the Dark Lord, but they were overcome by the evil king of Karn Doom and the land of Angmar. So the men of Westerness, do we remember this place... Uh, or they were also referred to as the Dunedain. Uh and there was a place that sunk. <laughs> oh, um, Numenor. Yes. Yeah. Western Ness yeah. is another, another name for another Numenor. name for Numenor. Really? Yeah. Huh. Numenor. Because Numenor was the westernmost society yeah. of men. I'm not sure if that's why, but so I another fun little tidbit: these swords were made by the men of Westerness. So they're they're pretty badass. Yep. Okay. Yep. They're pretty badass. S- and, and if you recall, if this is a former kingdom of the Dunedain, the Dunedain were the kind of good descendants of the Numenorians that escaped. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and uh, then there there was another kind of little allusion to so, some some people that you may meet eventually that Tom Bombadil gives them. Kind of yeah. vaguely referencing. Tom Bombadil's constantly like yeah. throwing out this stuff inadvertently. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's it. 
What was uh, what were what were what were favorite bits? Fatty Lumpkin. <laughs> the hand spider. I just like that description. Or the green, the teeth sticking out of the green gums. Yeah. I liked his language this chapter. My, I, I like that. Yeah, there was some really great language in this chapter. Um, my favorite part has to be Frodo finding his courage coming to him in, in the in the barrow. Yeah. Well, I mean, that part's also great because it's another example of one of those moments where you could feel, oh, <sighs> there have been a few moments in this book where it feels like suddenly Bilbo is narrating kind of like breaking in and it's like Frodo's memory of something that Bilbo has said it just kind of resonates in that way I mean it was earlier that part where we talked about like the before you know it or like the uh, there's only one road bit yeah, it's, yeah it was yeah, very similar to that bit and the uh, the whole business about going out your door yes yeah being, being a dangerous thing to do but <laughs> <laughs> All the same, so rewarding. Yeah, Frodo has a lot to admire in Bilbo, as do we all. But Bilbo did have a fatty lumpkin. But Bilbo did not have a fatty lumpkin. Want to make a bunch of pumpkins together, the shape of a pony, and call it a fatty pumpkin? A pumpkin <laughs> pony! And I love, so one of the other ponies' names now is Bumpkin. Yes. I mean, oh, yes, most, right. <laughs> mostly for rhyming purposes, but also, let's face it, Bumpkin is an adorable name for a pony. Up there with Bungo, the <laughs> and pony. So is Swishtail. <laughs> swish tail is a great name because ponies it sounds like you rejected My Little Pony. Well, ponies do swish their tails a lot, especially when they get annoyed. And uh, I've ridden many a pony who are uh, who have either gotten annoyed or are also just slightly evil. Uh, and yeah, they start swishing I, their tails there. I mean, I <laughs> feel like what was what was I about to say? Uh, never mind, I lost it. Fat I had pumpkin? I had it. And I lost. No, I just no 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 what no. I, mm, I just had more of like that tone of I imagine how Tom Bombadil speaks, where it's just that like, come on, guys. like like almost like breathless, like just like almost talking like so much and so fast that it like is like he's ahead of his own breath, like a little kid will do sometimes. So you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, kind yeah, of. Yeah, okay, all right. Kind of. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, uh, next week we will be back and we will be um, in the Prancing Pony. Yes, chapter 9. Chapter 9 and, and 10, and then we will meet... What is 10 called? 10 is just called Strider. That's ominous. So. Thank you for listening, everybody. I am John. I am Katie. And I'm Fatty Lumpkin. <laughs> I'm Chase. Let's go make a Fatty Pumpkin Pony. I feel like a fatty lumpkin would be a dessert. Like, like. We could make a pumpkin dessert and call, call it fatty lumpkin. Aww. Thank you for listening to Talking Tolkien. You can find us online at talkingtolkien.com and you can send us an email to the professor at talkingtolkien.com. We are also Talking Tolkien on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, and Stitcher. If you're an iTunes subscriber and you like what you hear, please be sure to give us a rating and review. We also have a Patreon account where you can donate as little as $1 per month to help us grow our podcast and help with expenses such as microphones and server space. Every little bit is appreciated.
right. All right, all right, all right. Yellow, everyone, and his coat is blue. <laughs> no, wait. And his, his boots are yellow. Yes. <laughs> is this... Are you trying to turn blue dabba dabba dee dabba dabba dee dabba dabba dee into Tom Bombadil? I'm trying to turn the song Bombadil. I'm trying to turn the song Bombadil into a greeting for our show. Wait, the song, the song. Oh, his song. Yes. Tom Bombadil, Tom Bombadillo. His coat is blue and his boots are yellow. That. I'll I'll be honest. The 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 meter. Tom Bombadil doesn't have a very good meter. There's a a certain meter, and it's completely. What's well, bizarre? I'll out of that my out head brain right now. He's Tom Bombadil. He, damn it! He doesn't. He speaks in a. There is a specific meter that he speaks in, and I cannot for the life. The only of me specific meter, it. other than iambic pentameter, that I can remember is trochaic hexameter. It's 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 in the song. It's <laughs> like it's it's, it's the same as the song "Bitch Better Have My Money" by Rihanna. <laughs> 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 I don't know. Why that came to mind. Uh, that's probably inaccurate. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Talking Tolkien. This is our fifth.